Today, we're going to start the conversation with uh, Heather Hiles, founder and managing partner of Imminent Equity. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get you acquainted with our audience. Tell us about you, your background, what kind of, uh, you know, tracks and sidetracks you have traveled to get to where you are today and what you are working on with Imminent Equity, what is your investment thesis and focus? Sure. Um, we don't have nearly enough time to get into all of my adventures today, but I'll try to summarize a couple of them. Um, you know, I um, was born and raised in L.A. and raised by a single mom who set a model for me um, of, you know, basically, if I set my mind to something and work really hard, I can achieve. And at the same time, she provided me a ton of freedom to experiment and tinker and uh, um, build and create and play as, and as much as I desired. And so I, um, I say that to say that I think I've, I was born an entrepreneur, uh, probably a social entrepreneur, because everything that I do is um, to try to solve what I think is a really important big problem. And, um, and so that's the through line that one can, can actually plot through my um, eclectic career um, and my journey. I found myself attending UC Berkeley as an undergraduate. Initially, I was recruited to play basketball, turned down a scholarship, um, worked my way through college where I, uh, two things I were impressed upon me. One is that um, there were there are lots of opportunity gaps in the world and I became very passionate about closing opportunity gaps and I learned through my role models um, that I could I could make a difference if I if I put the effort in and I also got the bug about computing and technology um, and just was um, stunned by the um, scale of impact one can have through through technology. And so it's definitely one of the toolkits that I've used throughout my creation process. Um, I've created a couple of nonprofits in the past. Uh, one that, I, I do have an MBA in finance from Yale University. So I one of my toolkits is financial, um, is finance. Uh, but I also, um, uh, the first nonprofit I built, I used learning technology to um, help build hard skills, uh, share hard skills with women who are formerly on welfare and helped 11,000 women formerly on welfare get hired into living wage jobs. I then built a fintech platform that would help working poor people um, achieve and um, obtain their first assets either home ownership, starting a business, or additional education. And we've had over 30,000 San Franciscans now acquire their first assets. I then realized I wanted to build a for-profit tech company. And so after I had a consulting business for a decade, I launched um, my first uh, tech company in, 20, in 2012. And it was called Pathbright, which were the first cloud-based portfolios. I sold it at the end of 2015. So I had the whole experience from conceiving an idea in my head, 
you know, doing the research to figure out why I wanted to build these cloud-based uh, digital portfolios. And then um, going from an app to building enterprise software, selling into the college market and having six million people on our platform and then selling the company. So kind of all those experiences from A to Z mm -hmm. I've had. Um, unfortunately, I was also from 2012 through 2018, the black woman who had raised the most venture capital. And it was too sad and embarrassing for me to talk about back then, because while $12 million was a lot of money and that's what I raised, um, it still was a drop in the bucket compared to what uh, my white male counterparts were doing in Silicon Valley. And to this day, still only 1% of venture-backed founders are black and um, something like 0 0, uh, 0 0.03% um, of venture-backed founders are black women in the US. And so, um, so we have really bad stats and it was so heartbreaking that, like I said, I couldn't really talk about it, deal with it then. Um, I wound up working with Bill and Melinda Gates at their foundation and did a lot of investing and a lot of um, learning about the investment process and really realized I love capacity building, scaling startups and investing in them. Um, and so that's what led in part to me being a co-founder of a fund called Black Ops Ventures, which I was managing partner of um, and got it up and running. And that one, the investment thesis there was 100% of the money we're investing is into black founded tech companies because there's such a poor, um, uh, there's a, such a lack of efficiency of capital going to black founders. Um, now that's being run by my partners very, very well. And I can get back to what I initially intended to do, which is eminent equity. Um, I'll be really um, in the saddle with that the beginning of next year. And what we're doing there is we're bringing imminent technologies into um, slower companies that are slowing in their growth, losing market dominance and revitalizing them with new technologies. Um, I did deep research and I'm a huge you know, advocate and fan of everything from blockchain to um, the great opportunities with AI and VR and AR and um, will be, you know, as other new emerging technologies really show their powers, applying those as well to the companies that I invest in. Okay. Heather, um, you know, I think the, the part that I want to kind of double click down on a bit is what you talked about black entrepreneurs. As you know, this is an entrepreneur platform. Yes. So um, I want to hear more from you about your experience with Black Ops Ventures and what, uh, what is the gating item? What is it that there aren't enough black founders starting up? No, is it that's not bias against black founders? What, what, it's what, what is your analysis of the issue? <laughs> it's pure and simple, it's racism. Um, actually, black founders have 2x the outcomes at every stage of companies uh, of startup life um, uh, of their white counterparts. So it's not that, they're, they, that black founders of tech companies don't exist. It's not that they um, don't have 
uh, decent outcomes to invest in. Uh, it's the exact opposite of that. It's pure and simple that we, because of how we got to this country, how it was at one point in time illegal for us to read and write, um, that we have been kept out of top tier educational institutions and we start so far behind the line with multi-generational wealth being created by white males predominantly in this country that we just are so far behind that we are playing catch up and that we don't have the networks and we don't have intergenerational um, not only wealth in terms of money, but in terms of knowledge of how to build companies, how to build wealth, how to build it over generations, that we are just so far behind that we don't have the networks. Um, for example, I'm selling enterprise software, but if I don't have friends, family, colleagues, people I went to school with who work at these big companies where I'd want to sell software, how in the world do I even get a meeting? And when you look at, at founders who are trying to not only pitch, but actually earn the confidence of an investor. And uh, so I found myself on Sand Hill Road um, at the top VC firms. Um, I found ways of getting in to pitch them, but literally I'd sit in the waiting room and um, a receptionist would say to me, um, hi, can I help you? As if, what are you doing here? <laughs> Um, not as if, oh, who are you waiting to, which of the partners are you waiting to meet with? And, um, and it wasn't like I was wearing the FedEx suit when I came in uniform, but it, that's how I was treated. And I realized that I could have been a Martian coming out of a spaceship, walking into the office, um, looking so incredibly out of place. And so that was my experience when I was raising venture capital. And um, it is changing slow, slow, slowly, but not only as, you, as founders and entrepreneurs probably know, not only do you need to be able to pitch and, and get, you know, actually get meetings with, with VCs, but then you need to inspire such confidence that, um, that they are willing to invest millions of dollars in you. And the lack of familiarity and comfort with, you know, who you are, where you come from, what schools you went to, who your friends are, what you eat, what you wear, all the things make these boundaries that even if you have the best business model in the world, there's such a lack of knowledge and pattern recognition that it's almost impossible to get folks like that to write the checks because most, I'm just gonna speak, I'm generalizing for Silicon Valley right now, but most of the VCs there went to Stanford, were at this time all wearing khakis or jeans with a certain kind of button-down shirt, with a certain kind of look, and there was a different kind of look for their administrative assistants who worked in the desks outside of their offices. And when you are in my body form and my kind of experience level, they've literally never, ever met somebody like me. And it's too much to get through that chasm of difference to instill the confidence when they go, Oh, I know Dan, you know, we went to Stanford Business School together. Our kids go to the same uh, school and uh, we go cycling on the weekends together. I know he's of great character and I know he'll figure this out and I'm totally comfortable with that. And that's a human trait and set of characteristics that we all have. We have certain 
people and types of folks that we're comfortable with, we know, we understand. And it is a really big, it is a chasm to get over that. If you come from where I come from and where a lot of um, black founders come from. And so that's, that's, I think, the real nature of the problem. And um, I spoke to the incoming class of students at Haas Business School a couple years ago, and I looked at, you know, hundreds of folks there um, and saw a, a very small minority of uh, black and brown faces and an even smaller minority of um, folks uh, who are from this country, um, the U.S., and I said, how many of you are planning to get into investing? Most hands went up. And I said, you know, you're, you're really at a deficit, I'm sorry to say, because you will be missing whole groups of opportunities of founders you probably have no interaction with who are going to be creating some of the best solutions in the world. And, um, and so um, that's really it. And so we've been able to, at Black Ops, we were able to get many LPs from uh, the likes of, um, you know, big institutions like Bank of America and uh, JP Morgan and Northwestern Mutual, but also top tier VCs like Union Square Ventures and Andreessen Horowitz and Flybridge and others, where the VCs there realize that there are commu whole communities of founders that they never encounter. And they trust us because we see on an ongoing basis, you know, I'm talking with, you know, 15 founders a week or something like that, on an ongoing basis, we see the best and the brightest from our community, and we will invest in them, and we will help them succeed. Heather, I want to ask you a few um, statistic questions, and uh, I don't know to what extent this is being tracked, but given your vantage points, you may have at least some range. Uh, how many black founders are there in America right now, men and women? Men and women, you know, I don't know the latest um, numbers, and so I don't want to sort of misquote right now because um, I haven't looked at the numbers recently enough. Um, um, yeah, there are people who are collecting that information at um, at the NAIC, and I would direct you probably to their website would be... The, just a ballpark, like are we talking tens of thousands? Are we talking hundreds of thousands? There are 400,000 startups being registered in America every month right now. Right, so and I so imagine... that's why I don't know what, I don't know what portion, but, um, but I, I would say that of, I think of the total amount of, um, of, of organizations that are, you know, startups that are coming online every month, I I would venture to say it's something like seven or eight percent of that number is of uh, black founded companies. And I, I don't know about black and brown, what, what the numbers are looking like. But we're, uh, you know, we're, we, comp we make up 12, about roughly about 12 percent of the population that is black folks in this country. Um, and, and so I think we're kind of slightly under that percentage for uh, creating new companies, but not far out of um, out of sync with um, with our um, representation in the in the country. Okay, and um, 
when you look at, you talked about education and, and not having access to knowledge. When you look at the, you know, schools where yes. technical disciplines are taught, you know, not just the Stanford's and the MIT's, but also the large, you know, engineering schools like the University of Pennsylvania, the Indiana University, the UT Austin, and I mean, there are a lot of very large engineering programs, which basically create the pipeline of trained engineers in America. Yes. What, what is the, uh, you know, representation of blacks in that community? Um, in the pipeline. Uh, yeah, again, and I, I should be up to date with probably the statistics because at the Gates Foundation, I watched very carefully um, the CS programs throughout the country. Um, we are we are we're poorly represented and in the pipeline of education. And especially when you look at college um, and university computer science programs, we are we are we're really really behind the majority of black youth um, today coming out of K-12 schools are behind our counterparts um, academically, especially from the math perspective. And so a lot of us don't, the majority of us do not have the skills to enter into CS programs. So we're very, very underrepresented. Um, the last time I checked, we were something like two to three percent of um, of the student populations in undergraduate CS programs, and so okay. you, you do bring up a, a good point. And um, and uh, you know my experience in you know I graduated from business school in 1995 at Yale University, and I think there were three of us um, black Americans, four actually four um, African Americans in our our class uh, at business school. So we're certainly seeing underrepresentation um, in the, um, you know, the, the business side of, of this, uh, of entrepreneurship as well as the technical side. Um, so it is, um, it is one of those problems where, you know, we are running faster and harder to catch up for the undereducation and under-resourced um, uh, experiences we're having in in our k-12 and even in college where we're we're struggling to catch up so um you know one of the reasons why we got attracted to udemy as a platform to work yes. with um, yes. is because of the reach and and kind of democratization right okay you have Correct. not gotten into a major engineering program but you can still learn you know Python or machine learning or, you That's know, it. how to build startups and, and so forth. And, and uh, there is no barrier to that entry. Correct. Um, has Udemy made an impact in the startup ecosystem? It has, and it has, it has been transformative for people around the world, as you're saying, and is one of the reasons that I was so thrilled uh, to be asked to join the board of directors in 2020. Um, we, um, and, and I will say, you know, over my 35 years of professional life now, I've become a bit of an expert in how to 
upskill people and prepare them for various opportunities, either academic or professional, um, or you know even entrepreneurship. And um, and so I had just come from building the first statewide community college that was online teaching actual competencies and job technical skills um, with underemployed people to upskill them and getting them hired into their first technical jobs. And, um, and so uh, when, I, when I left that, that um, you know, being the founding chancellor of Calbright College, I was um, able to join the board of Udemy. And Udemy right now has 50 million people on our B, B2C, our direct-to-consumer marketplace. And 80% um, of our courses are free, completely free. And the other 20% cost somewhere between like 40 bucks and maybe a couple hundred um, per class. But one can literally take from experts in AI and blockchain and, and any other um, technical you know, or, or non-technical uh, topic you want, can literally take courses from the experts who have built and who know um, the industry standards par none. And bar none, and, um, and and anyone in the world can take these courses. And it is such a game game changer to not only democratize access to the information, but also to disintermediate it, so that rather than taking a course from an academic who spent her entire life uh, optimizing her position in academia, uh, which is oftentimes about research, but is not about creating in industry real time the freshest courses are the freshest you know coding languages etc um you really get to hear from the experts who have built code many of them most of them outside of universities and colleges so it's a very very unique offering and very special and it really does change the life and opportunity and trajectory for people looking to get better jobs at companies or for the five percent of us i've been told 5% of us worldwide are actually entrepreneurs. So it's the it's going to be the minority, but uh, I've met hundreds myself of entrepreneurs who have learned a skill, something they needed to learn just in time to do what they needed to do at their startup. And so um, uh, there are oodles of college kids who supplement what they're learning through Udemy courses, there are professionals who need to learn new skills all the time, and they're doing that. And there are entrepreneurs who need to learn new skills immediately. And uh, Udemy happens to have the largest library of technical courses in the world. Um, so we really do have an offering that's affordable to everybody. So um, you, talk, you brought up your experience with community colleges. Yes. I, I think um, a lot of the black community uses community colleges to learn, right? Is that a correct uh, statement? Um, uh, uh, we don't, I mean, I wouldn't say proportionately more than other populations. So I wouldn't want to mislead people to say that we have, a, a, you know, a major presence in community college and not in other four-year institutions. We're underrepresented in every type of college and university system. So, so I guess the question then is, you know, yeah. how do you bridge the knowledge gap 
in a democratized fashion, both on the technical side and on the startup business side. Yes. So and, for you know, mm -hmm. and and there there are a couple of ways to do that. One is these online platforms. Udemy being a very good example and a very yes. good uh, opportunity yep. for that, where yep. you can get both technical knowledge and you can get business knowledge, and and that's that's a package that can actually get you there. Yes. Um, another possibility is through community colleges, and there, I mean, the way I see it is that Udemy should work with these community colleges and, and set up more yes. of a formal structures with, you know, both, both on the technology side and on the entrepreneurship side, no? Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. The problem for most community colleges is um, uh, limited budgets, a huge, um, a huge need, and um, and what we were solving for was a particular problem at Calbright, which is we were working with, we were focusing on working poor people, working most the majority were women who were single mothers who were working three jobs, had kids to support, and sometimes parents, and who didn't have time to invest in an AA degree or any other degree without having a better job, one job with benefits that mm -hmm. she could actually support herself. So the problem with most community colleges is even after you have an AA, and many times even after people get bachelor's degrees, they don't find themselves getting hired any better. And they don't find themselves having industry, in industry demand capabilities. I'll give you one example. One can make, can earn $100,000 being a Salesforce administrator. I yes. can teach you to become a Salesforce administrator in probably um, four months solid. And mm -hmm. um, you don't need, but you can't learn Salesforce administration at a community college. So you could get an AA degree, but you still don't have a way to earn a good living. And so, but that's um, my point. That's why right. exactly. You can you're making learn to be a Salesforce yeah. administration through Udemy, exactly. or learn machine learning, Python programming, that's and correct. can get a very credible exactly. job. It, it can be supplemental, exactly. So that so you're right, and we do serve actually a number of not only community colleges but uh, state universities and four-year colleges and universities. We also serve a lot of governments where people in different government departments need to learn the latest in cybersecurity. And once they've gotten hired and they're 10 years in the job, the world of cybersecurity is growing, unfortunately, you know, uh, in perpetuity right now yeah. and very rapidly. So you've got to fresh, keep fresh skills all the time. So we're really, Udemy is a great supplement to traditional education, foundational education, and uh, to uh, government as well as to business enterprise where people have to learn new capabilities to stay relevant in their jobs. And that's why we have also over 8,000 companies paying for their employees to have seat licenses at Unimi so that they can keep upskilling and stay at the companies. And then there are entrepreneurs who, again, as, a, as every entrepreneur on, on this video understands, You've got to learn new things to do new things that you've never had to do in life. And you've got to have a place where you can go that's 
easy, quick, affordable. You don't have time to enroll into something. And that's where a company like Udemy is really helpful. So, and most uh, institutions are not set up to really meet the needs of entrepreneurship and what entrepreneurs need to learn because there's so much and it's ever changing. So uh, I've had a lot of conversations in the last six months with uh, deans of universities and colleges. Yeah. Um, especially on the business side, people who are thinking of want wanting to teach technology entrepreneurship. Yes. You know, in One Million by One Million, we happen to have probably the largest collection of case studies in technology entrepreneurship early stage. That's wonderful. You know, we have like thousands of case studies. We have over 3,000 hours worth of curriculum in technology entrepreneurship. Nobody has this. Yeah. So, So we are looking for a way to be able to work with these universities with a pricing model which works for them. And you brought up the issue of community colleges not having budgets. And, and the yeah. farther out you go, you know, like you go outside of America, people are paying a lot less for their degree programs and, and, and then pricing becomes an issue and so forth. But, but I think uh, this is a market that we would be very interested in working with Udemy to cater to because we do know how to teach technology entrepreneurship really well. I love very Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's offline let's follow up about that because um, as we're seeing different kinds of communities um, get through subscriptions and various clustering of content their needs met in a more kind of tailored way curated way for different mm -hmm. kinds of communities on in the in the Uda, world of udemy because um, you know as you're saying i, I mean having talked and supported thousands of entrepreneurs now it's uh there are certain things that everybody faces and you know custom uh, product market fit is one of the first like big walls that every person fits uh fix hits and you've either gotta you gotta get over that or you're gonna eventually just have to shut down and so you know there are the things that really are sort of muscle memory and just what happens for all startups. Everybody faces the same kinds of challenges and there there could be a really nice, well curated sort of, you know, channel for I think a lot of the tech entrepreneurship um, content. So we should we should follow up on that. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. You know, we are just to just to close out on that train of thought. One of our understandings, and we work also in other minority communities where people are trying to break through biases and barriers. Um, my nugget on that is if you bootstrap first, get to product market fit, get to some MRR, ARR numbers, you yep. can raise money. But yeah. that bootstrap first, raise money later wisdom has to be ingrained and there are mechanics of doing that so that's stuff that we have done a very good job teaching in our community and and i think it makes a real difference it, it does and um and and it is the only way that people of color and women uh will be able to raise money that you know there's certain kinds of exactly right. yeah and so we just have to start from what we know is fact with you know um, yeah. the patterns and and help people succeed and understand. One of the things that I've seen that has been 
detrimental, ironically, in some ways to especially black women that I um, spend the majority, not the majority, but a lot of my time serving is there was a track where um, I think it's come a little bit out of out of uh, favor now, but there was a time where there were so many pitch competitions where you could mm-hmm. win 50 or $25,000 for winning this competition. And I started seeing some entrepreneurs who were living off pitch money and competition uh, money rather than sales to actual customers. Very bad habits. <laughs> Terrible. So you could be a year down the road and you still don't have customers. You haven't made any progress on product market pitch. Exactly. <laughs> and, and they don't understand why they're not, you know, raising money and stuff. It's because you don't have actual customers and revenue. And so right. those are the th- kinds of things we have to watch for our community and make sure people don't get confused with what's happening. Yeah. 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 Well, wonderful conversation, Heather. We'll continue offline. I, uh, I'm going to invite some of the entrepreneurs to start sharing. That. I don't know. Do you have time to stay? Some entrepreneur sure. Pictures? Sure, sure, sure. Sure. Okay. 